Some entrepreneurs create their own recipes for success, and the one you're about to meet is essentially writing a cookbook of his own. He made his name in the e-commerce space, building companies worth billions and helping to change how consumers purchase goods. Now he's setting his sights on the restaurant industry. On this episode, a serial entrepreneur reveals the secret ingredients of his newest venture, a mix of tech, logistics, real estate, and, of course, food. Didn't know anything about food. It's obviously much more challenging than e-commerce, as I've come to learn. But that was the original thinking. Just big opportunity. That's Mark Laurie, who built startup success stories such as diapers.com, which was sold to Amazon for $550 million, and Jet.com, which was sold to Walmart for $3.3 billion. Among other ventures, he also owns the NBA's Minnesota Timberwolves, which he recently purchased with baseball legend Alex Rodriguez. We'll get into all of that, but primarily these days his main focus is cooking up a restaurant startup called Wonder, which made headlines with its nine-figure acquisition of Blue Apron in late September and also just closed a $100 million investment from Nestle. Mark will take us inside some of the bold decisions he's made as CEO and tell us why some of the world's most famous chefs have signed on to the mission. Coming up, disrupting mealtime with wonder. We visit the New York City apartment of entrepreneur Mark Laurie, who's out to transform the way we order food. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, and this week I am delighted to be sitting with Mark Laurie, the founder and CEO of Wonder. Mark, thanks so much for coming out today. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, Mark, uh, we're sitting here in your lovely apartment talking about Wonder, this incredible concept that you've come up with and is now growing like, well, like Wonder. Tell us about it. Yeah, w- Wonder, uh, in short, is a vertically integrated food delivery service. Mm-hmm. So unlike the delivery food services out there right now, um, where they go to our local restaurant, pick up the food, and bring it to you. We actually own all the restaurants on the delivery platform. So we've invested a, a ton of money now in the culinary engineering and food science to be able to cook as many as 30 different restaurants across every cuisine type in a single 3,000-square-foot location. So obviously the vertical integration allows us to bring people very hot food very fast. It's our own Courier Network, it's our own technology. We own the brands, we don't pay any royalties. The economic model is very solid, but more importantly, the customer experience is is exceptional. We've got a 70 net promoter score. Uh, We're delivering uh, orders in in 27 minutes from the time you order till the time it arrives at your door. It only delivers about six minutes from the location, so we set a really tight delivery radius. That's really what ensures that the food's hot and great quality when it gets to you. And I should note, Mark, that uh, we did a little due diligence before today. We ate at Wonder on the uh, Upper West Side on Broadway. It was fantastic. And we had uh, the uh, Bobby Flay steak. We had the uh, barbecue. And we had the um, Poke Bowl. When, you know, Poke Bowl to steak. So we, we, we tested right. it one out. Of, one of the big advantages <laughs> of, of the model is you yeah. can order from all the different restaurants yeah. in a single delivery. Yeah. Um, so it's it's great to hear that you actually ordered across three different restaurants in a, in a single uh, city. Well, if you think about it, how many families have different tastes in food? Um, like everybody. And so when you go to your concept, you have that ability to order across multiple platforms. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So tell us how you came up with this idea. 
I've been in e-commerce for a long time, had a couple of successful exits and was the CEO of Walmart e-commerce and just been a long time, you know, uh, chasing Amazon and, and watching what they did to retail beginning in the late 90s and, and through the next uh, couple decades. And um, really wanted to, to think about, like, was there an opportunity like that? Was there a big multi-trillion dollar market still left um, that was ripe for technological disruption? And the restaurant space just notoriously has not invested a lot in technology. If you look at kitchens, they don't look that different now than they did 100 years ago. And at the same time, over the last 10 years, you had food delivery exploding. The younger generations are willing to pay a big price for convenience and want to cook a lot less than previous generations. So the delivery market has boomed to about $100 billion today just in the U.S., going to $500 billion over the next 13 years. And all with, I would say, arguably not the best customer experience, just in terms of the food quality, the heat on the food, and just the customer service in general. Like the, the net promoter scores are not great. And it reminded me a lot of early days of e-commerce mm-hmm. um, when you had marketplaces and then Amazon you know, disrupted it with a, a complete upgrade of the experience by owning the first party and owning the customer experience end to end. And just thought, like, is there an opportunity to do that in food? Didn't know anything about food. It's obviously much more challenging than e-commerce, as I've come to learn. But that was the original thinking. Just big opportunity, big TAM, growing market in food delivery. And how do we disrupt the market with a a robust end-to-end first-party experience? Mm -hmm. So given your background, this is, even though this is a primarily a real estate podcast, this is a tech story. You agree? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're, we are a tech, food tech company. We've invested uh, a, a lot in technology. We've built all the kitchen software, all the courier software, their own couriers, all the food manufacturing software, the logistics software, the, all the machine learning we do on forecasting and all that. I mean, it, it looks very much like a, a tech company as much as it does a food company. Mm-hmm. And I know, in addition to us eating at uh, the location today, we also uh, saw the back of the house. And I thought the back of the house was pretty incredible, how you had something like 15 or 20 restaurants, and each of them had their own way of being prepared. You have the food that comes from, I think you have a preparation place, and is it Parsippany, New Jersey? Is where the, you, you in, in Cranford. Cranford, New Jersey. We have a, a few places, but that's the biggest one. And so just walk us through the process of how you go from your distribution center, which does the initial prep, to the customer's plate. Yeah, the ability to cook 20, 30 restaurants in this really small space, it requires that there's some significant prep work happening far from the customer. And so we opened up a big like food manufacturing facility slash commissary where we par cook, sous vide the food, and we, using food science, are able to preserve the food fresh for somewhere between 6 and 13 days, depending on the meal, that fresh food gets then sent to the location close to the customer. And the goal is that everything that comes in there can be cooked with very lightly trained labor in sub five minutes. Almost everything cooks in less than five minutes. Everything from a Bobby Flay steak to pizza, burgers, barbecue, chicken, fish, um, it's all meant to be cooked very fast with light labor, meaning it's consistent. And that was the key. If we wanted to be able to scale this to thousands of locations across the country, we couldn't rely on labor to make sure it's consistent, it had to be sort of very easy uh, to cook. And so we spent a lot of time and money and many years doing that. And we got it to the point now where 
all 30 restaurants can cook on just three pieces of all electric equipment. We kept trying to figure out how, how do we cook this using just these three pieces of equipment, and we're finally there, years and hundreds of million dollars later. But um, it was uh, a lot of innovation that went into that. We don't have any hoods or gas. It doesn't look like a typical kitchen from that standpoint. Um, and in the coming, in the next two months, we're launching a complete upgrade to the kitchen. We're calling Kitchen 4.0, which has got conveyors and a lot more automation. And I think that's going to take us to another level. And then we'll just keep iterating from there, seeing how far we can push you know, through fo- throughput and, and speed and accuracy. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the origin story a little bit of Wonder. I understand you started actually in trucks. Um, trying to deliver this same concept, but you've recently or relatively recently shifted to bricks and mortar real estate. Tell us about that evolution from trucks to bricks and mortar real estate. Yeah, I think the, the first party experience originally, the thinking was that the best way to improve speed, quality, and heat is to cook the food right outside somebody's home. So we had these Mercedes Sprinter vans and we put these three pieces of equipment I'm talking about in the back of a Mercedes Sprinter van. And because... Um, it was meant to be cooked with lightly trained labor. We actually had the driver do the cooking. Mm-hmm. So they would just drive to the house and then in, in a very quick five to 10 minutes, turn around the entire order and bring it to people's doors hot. Um, and since you had to pay for delivery anyway, the thinking was the person is driving to the home. That's a delivery that would need to be made mm-hmm. even if the food was cold. And then the actual cooking time outside the door is the same as the cooking time in a restaurant and so it's sort of a wash, but you get much higher quality food. Mm-hmm. And um, it was working really well. We had 450 trucks on the road. Customers absolutely loved the experience. Uh, we had just turned the corner on, on the unit economics turning positive. But at the same time, we had tested a brick and mortar late last year, brick and mortar, um, to see if we could utilize the same technology and put all the restaurants in one single location with a really tight delivery radius to see if we could match the net promoter score and, and the customer love for it. And it turns out if the delivery radius is tight enough, you can match the customer experience and get the heat and quality with the one big advantage that you have multi-restaurant ordering. You could order from all the restaurants in a single delivery, which you couldn't do on the truck. So the, the customer experience, trucks versus brick and mortar, went to brick and mortar, like brick and mortar won the the customer experience. On the financial side, you had a much higher return on capital in the brick and mortar. You had lower labor, you had lower waste because you had less volatility because you had more volume come out of a single space. Financials, double check. And then on expansion, our ability to expand with the brick and mortar is much greater. Like we can find uh, locations a lot more easily. We can be urban, we can be suburban, we can be rural. We can flex the size of the location. We can have 30 restaurants in 3,000 square feet. We can have eight restaurants in 800 square feet. You can put the location in a shoe store. You don't need gas and electric. It doesn't have to be on the perfect street corner. So literally the, the, the number of locations we can go into are endless. Um, and so our ability to scale versus the trucks, which required us to find parking lots where the trucks parked overnight and got charged, which proved to be one of the most challenging uh, barriers to scale. So. Better customer, much better financials, and much better ability to scale. So it was sort of a no-brainer. We had a month's worth of data in December. I I became CEO in October. We had a month's worth of data. The trucks had just clicked over. It was a very tough decision to basically tell the organization on a dime, 
with one month of data that we're stopping all the trucks, selling every one of them. And in 2024, I'm sorry, 2023, we're doing nothing but locations. And we're going to start the year. Um, this is December. We're going to start the first one. We're going to try to get done by the end of February. Live, open, three months. And then we're going to do nine more and finish the year with 10. Um, people thought I was crazy, obviously, at that time. Um, we did launch one at the end of February, Herculean effort to get something from nothing to open in 90 days. And uh, we'll finish the year with 10. So um, that's your currency as a startup founder. Your currency is doing what you say. Um, and you know, knock on wood, we didn't open. It's not the year, the year's not over yet, but they're all in construction and kind of toward the end, final phases. Um, so we're feeling, feeling really good about that. But uh, it definitely was not like, not an easy decision, but once you realize that was the right decision, we moved very fast to transition the model. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have the luxury of doing both models at the same time and waiting. It was either pick one, you know? That's, mm -hmm. that's how in my head what I was thinking, okay? <laughs> you got limited capital, can't do both, pick one. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I said, I'm picking the brick and mortar, once I said that, that was like, you know, a month's worth of data, that's it. Then once you pick it, you gotta go as fast as possible to transition. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. We literally stopped the trucks on a dime at the end of the year, um, just done. 450 trucks off the road, sold the trucks. And now you can't mention trucks in the office. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's done, it's done. I'll ask one more question just about the actual restaurant portion and into the real estate side of it. First, just give us a, a flavor for some of the brands that are uh, occupying Wonder today, uh, how you picked them, and uh, why it helps um, Wonder overall. We literally just had a team go across the country and try food in every cuisine to try to find the best restaurants, um, best chefs, to try to bring them to the Wonder platform. So we've got on the restaurant side, you know, Tejas Barbecue from... Tumble, Texas. That was the best barbecue we could find in the U.S. Uh, it's doing incredibly well on Wonder. Um, Fred's Meat and Bread, burgers and cheesesteaks from Atlanta. Um, we've got you know, Maidan, a Michelin star Middle Eastern restaurant uh, from Washington, D.C. And on the chef's side, we've hooked up with, you know, well-known chefs like Bobby Flay, Jose Andres, Marcus Samuelson, Nancy Silverton, Jonathan Waxman, Mark Murphy, Michael Simon. We've got an incredible roster of chefs and restaurants. Mm -hmm. We've got Fast Fine, as I mentioned before, which is sort of like more higher-end restaurants. Mm -hmm. But we've also got great fast casual restaurants. You know, we've got um, the, the fast casual Mexican. We've got a fried chicken concept, a burger concept, mm -hmm. a um, salad concept. It's really the combination of the fast casual mm -hmm. and also Fast Fine in one place. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that place, the place that we went to was in a dense residential neighborhood. Are you going to stick to that type of uh, location? Or because where I'm really going with this is the entire office market is being disrupted right now. And people don't know where to go to lunch. People don't come into the office. So are you going to stick to the residential areas or are you going to go into some of the business districts as well? Both, yeah. Uh, we have a model that basically predicts what the revenue is in a particular area within the appropriate delivery radius. Mm -hmm. And then we work backwards. Depending on the revenue, we'll figure out what size we can put in there. Is mm -hmm. it, there's five different sizes. We call it D1 is the smallest, D5 is the biggest. And we just figure out based on the revenue projection, what size we put in. So there could be 
an office park, we run the model, and it says just in this park right here within five minutes, it's five million in revenue is the projection, great, we'll put a D2. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's kind of the way we're thinking about it. You know, our model right now shows that we could have 7,500 locations in the U.S. where this model would work. And we feel pretty good about that. And then in the future, as the market grows, it could be more locations, but that's kind of what the model would would spit out today. And just rough numbers, D1 is how big and D5 is how big? So uh, D1 is, is called 2 million and D5 called 10 million. Mm-hmm. So there's 2 million, 4 million, 6 million, 8 million, 10 million. Those are the conservative side of what the estimate is. We tend to build them about 10% smaller than what we really expect. So like the 10, we think we'll do 11, but we'll mm-hmm. build it to 10 so that we get a good return on CapEx. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of roughly the size. Like all the ones in Manhattan, they're all D5s. They're all $10 million locations. Our first two locations, well, the first one in New York City is already over $5 million. It opened in February. Mm-hmm. And the one in New Jersey is over $4 million. It opened in June. Mm-hmm. So like these things are going to start to really generate serious revenue as we start to open them up. So Mark, 10 stores in, in one year starting from zero, uh, or I guess starting from a lot of trucks completely transitioning. Uh, to 7,500. Walk us through your timeline to get there. Yeah, just to be clear, we, I'd love to have 7,500. That's what the model says are viable locations. It's going to take a long time to get there. I yeah. just want to be clear and be realistic about that. But we do, we did, as you said, you know, in 10 months, basically, we'll have done 10 locations in 10 months from a cold start. So we feel pretty good about that. Uh, we'll take a breather next year and just launch 20 new ones. So mm-hmm. we'll end the year at, at 30. Um, and then things really start to accelerate. We'll start to try and do four or five a month uh, going into 2025. And we'll see the, where that takes us. We'll, we'll constantly push the envelope on how fast we can grow reasonably. Um, but it's nice to know that there are 7,500 locations out there that are just waiting for us to show up. You know. So let me ask you a question. This is not a negative. This is just a, you know, a consideration when landlords are looking for tenants. Um, any consideration or, or concern about other restaurants that are nearby is in terms of competitive pressures, not only on you, but on them? Yeah, I mean, because we have 30 restaurants in like a D5 yeah. and it's doing 10 million, each restaurant on its own averages 333,000. Right. So it's pretty small. And so if you have a restaurant there that's doing two, three million, and we come in with 300,000, maybe it cannibalizes at best $100,000. Maybe not even anything, honestly, because mm-hmm. a lot of it's delivery. So we don't really feel like we're competing in that way. It's the diversification of the menu items and of the restaurants that carves out, I think, a, a, a niche, but a really big niche for us. It's not going head-to-head with any one restaurant, although we're competing a little bit with everyone. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so uh, in your conversations with landlords at this point, has anybody brought that issue up? There's definitely places that we've gone in where they have a clause that says, hey, you can do whatever you want, but you cannot do Indian, for example, because there's an Indian restaurant next door. And either we'll push back and say, okay, how about this? We won't do more than $300,000 of Indian and see if there's something to work out there because that's all we're going to do anyway. Um, And and oftentimes, with the right level of negotiation, we're able to, to get that in. And if we don't, we'll just make the 30th restaurant another Greek restaurant or something. Like, we have a lot of flexibility. We don't need to put the same exact restaurants in every location. In fact, that's one of the beauties of the model is that we can match the restaurants to the demographics of the area. And if a restaurant doesn't work, we can take it out overnight and put a new one in. And down the road, 
and this is really very different than a restaurant, let's say we had a thousand locations, we can go and buy a famous single restaurant brand. Um, and we could overnight buy that brand and literally put it in a thousand locations without one dollar of CapEx. It just cooks on the same system, flows to the commissary, to the location the same way, and on the app, the menu's lit up. And we think that's really powerful down the road once we have a lot of locations to buy content, similar to Netflix, the way they go and buy content and then distribute it. We would be buying the best restaurant content and then distribute it across the country, consistent with our mission of making great food more accessible. Well, if you think about it, food tastes change a lot. The restaurant business historically is very volatile because of that changing formats. And you can literally transform your food delivery service, your restaurant, into a new restaurant almost instantaneously. Oh, you can pull one out and pull one in. Literally, I say overnight, but I mean like in maybe six weeks. Yes. We've engineered just about all different types of food. If there's some hot trend, um, you know, uh, taco burgers, you know, mm-hmm. you know it became hot on, on Instagram and TikTok. And within like a few weeks, we had a, a restaurant dedicated to that. You know, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool that you could you know, pick up on trends and roll them out, not in one location, but thousands potentially simultaneously um, in a very short period of time. So what's the big picture? What's the uh, long range plan uh, for Wonder? Our mission is to make great food more accessible. We believe that the model we have allows us to bring a wider assortment of restaurants to places that don't have access. We believe in time we can really bring down the price point on what we're calling fast, fine delivery, which are more premium restaurants, Michelin store even, that you wouldn't typically get delivery from um, because it's too expensive. It's not food that you would typically would buy via delivery. Um, Our technology allows us to cook that food really fast consistent every time, like a Bobby Flay steak. Mm-hmm. And because we can do it fast uh, and easy like that, we can actually bring down the cost. There's no mm-hmm. reason why you have to pay restaurant prices for a filet mignon steak. The cost of that steak is way less than wh- what you're charging, but you have the overhead of a restaurant and things. If we can cook 12 steaks in six minutes in a small oven, which is what we do, then you can bring the price down. So making great food more accessible And also our vision is to become the super app for mealtime. So anytime you want to eat, you want great food delivered, you want a meal kit, uh, you want uh, a ready-to-heat meal that you just put in your oven, or you want a special diet based on health goals you set. Like the idea is that you would come to the Wonder app anytime you want to eat. That's sort of the big vision that would require thousands of locations across the country. So a couple of years ago, the concept, and I hope this term is, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the term ghost kitchens, uh, about people going into a different type of restaurant, maybe having some basically subletting part of their, their kitchen for, for part of the day. But a lot of these ghost kitchens are also located in what I would call industrial areas, like not located main and main near the customer. Your location, or at least the one that I visited, and I suspect the other ones in the tri-state area, are located in fairly dense residential areas so you can deliver. So when you were considering where to locate, yeah. what was the key consideration of going to a traditional retail location versus what might be a ghost kitchen or industrial type location? It all started with the customer experience. Mm-hmm. The, the idea was we wanted to be close to the customer mm-hmm. and not only be close physically with the brick and mortar, but also set a tight delivery radius so we can get it to them faster. 
That's our sort of what we call the wonder wheel. The idea is that the closer you get to the customer, the hotter the food, the faster the food, the better the customer experience. And that customer experience drives top line sales, drives repeat rates. The more sales that you do in that location, the tighter you can make the radius. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, okay, that's the wonder world. That's the virtuous cycle. But how do you do that? How do you do 5 million, 10 million, 12 million dollars of revenue out of 3,000 square feet? It requires first to have the breadth of assortment to get to those revenue numbers from a demand perspective, 30 restaurants. Then how do you cook 30 restaurants in 3,000 square feet? You have to invest hundreds of millions into culinary engineering and food science to be able to cook this food really fast with light labor in a small space. So those are the requirements. But compared to a ghost kitchen, there's basically five, I would say, big buckets that would define ghost kitchen or what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, three is sort of like table stakes, and then two are, are sort of more special. On the, on the three table stakes, and there are ghost kitchens that have one, two, maybe three, but not, not all five. Um, on, on, on the three sort of more, more straightforward ones, it is, do you have your own app, and is it your customer relationship, or are you using third-party delivery aggregators to deliver it. A lot of ghost kitchens use the 3P. Mm-hmm. We use 3P, but very little. Like more than 85% of our sales come through our own app. That's check one. Do you do your own delivery or do you re- rely on someone else to do the delivery for you? We do our own delivery. Um, is your uh, brick and mortar uh, available for sit down and pick up? And is it on the high street? Check those three things. If you do all three, you're a pretty darn good ghost kitchen. But the two that really separates us where I think the magic lies in wonder is in the invention, the innovation around culinary engineering and food science and the ability to put 30 restaurants in 3,000 square feet. That's number one. And the second is going out and buying the very best restaurants and hooking up with the very best chefs in the world to bring this incredible content that we own the rights to. We don't pay any royalties to round out the value proposition. We're the only one that we know of that has all five, mm-hmm. but you'll definitely, uh, different versions of it will have one, two, or maybe three, but certainly not all five uh, mm-hmm. elements. Mm-hmm. Well, given your backstory uh, well before uh, Wonder and your uh, first company, which you sold to, to Amazon, um, you had uh, Jet.com, which sold to, to Walmart. Um, how are you using those experiences and translating them to wonder. You're building on these experiences to now build wonder. And you know how are you fin- funding wonder going forward? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. I think just uh, like e-commerce, mm-hmm. this business relies a lot on logistics, mm-hmm. moving product from point A to point B, whether it be from the commissary production facility mm-hmm. to a distribution to the physical location near the customer, and then the last mile courier delivery. So all that's very well known using um, robotics and AI inside of the kitchen is something that we use inside of the fulfillment center. We're sort of creating the kitchen to look more like a micro fulfillment center, especially in the 4.0 design I mentioned that's hitting in two months. Mm -hmm. And we'll continue to further that. All the technology that we built is definitely more uh, of an analog with e-com tech Mm -hmm. than it is a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of things. What's new, of course, is food, um, which I don't say that lightly because it's really, really hard. We used to think e-commerce was, was hard. And just looking back, I laughed because we would buy the box of diapers from Procter & Gamble. Mm-hmm. It would come in, doesn't expire. 
and then you put a label on it and hand it to FedEx. You know, it doesn't sound that hard. It was hard when you had millions of SKUs and stuff. But when I think about that now, you're buying, you know, uh, broccoli. Every time you get it, it's slightly different. It has a shelf life. You have to cook it before it expires. And then after you cook it, it has an expiration date. You have to sell it before it expires. Um, and you have to maintain the quality and cold chain throughout the whole process. Like, it is a whole other uh, level of complexity when you layer that on top of all the logistics and the foundational tech and things. Fortunately, the logistics and foundational tech and all those things, we know so well that you have that good solid foundation. Now we can just focus on the food piece of it. And we've hired close to 100 now, like really good culinary food scientists, engineers in the food space that have been great, that have bolstered the, the tech with this layer of culinary engineering on top. But I think it would be impossible to have done this while we're also learning how to fly the plane on tech and logistics mm -hmm. and then add food. You know, mm -hmm. it was sort of like you had that foundation um, to build off of, to focus on the food piece. So each one of your prior business ventures is really a stepping stone to where you are today. It could not have been done. I don't, I don't think, I, no, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the experience for sure. I understand you entered into a, a incredible new partnership with Nestle, one of the largest food companies in the world. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, great. It's been over the last six months, been talking to Nestle and uh, working on an incredible commercial agreement that I think will benefit both companies uh, on the B2B side of the business. So in addition to everything we talked about B2C, um, we're also leveraging our culinary technology, the ovens, the programming, and the food kits that we create to uh, do deals with hotels, hospitals, arenas, um, things like that, where we would send our equipment and food and they would operate it. And it, it could be Sodexo, Legends, Levy Group, um, all these um, companies that typically would manage it, still manage it just using our equipment. And I think Nestle was very interested in pizza and pasta in particular. Um, they felt like there was a really big opportunity. They have their B2B professional business and so we, we did a commercial agreement where we partnered up and they're going to do the manufacturing using our formulation and we're going to together uh, sell it um, and hopefully create a, a big joint business together. And uh, along with that, Nestle invested in the company. So they're shareholders now and um, you know, observer to our board of directors. And uh, we think there's a lot of things we can do together. Um, and we were um, very impressed with how visionary the company is and the CEO in particular, both the CEO of the B2B business, but also the CEO, Mark, in Switzerland, to sort of see the technology uh, and see where the puck's going and to sort of uh, get ahead of it and, mm -hmm. and hook up with us. I, I was really impressed with the vision and the, the speed at which they moved to get this done. So let's go back to the uh, most recent Blue Apron acquisition. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's an incredible company. It's a brand most people know well. It's got 80% market awareness. Uh, it's one of the, the pioneers of the of meal kit space. And we saw incredible synergies and opportunities to, to partner with them through acquisition um, to make, make those meal kits you know, more accessible to customers via our Wonder app, where we can deliver the food fresher, faster, with no packaging, which is one of the pain points. And um, at the same time, um, help accelerate their business just through some of our uh, e-commerce learnings. The, the company looks very much like an e-commerce company today uh, because they've sold off all their production, so to Fresh Realm. 
Mm-hmm. So they don't actually do the production anymore. It's really a, a marketing front-end product company. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a business that our team's got a lot of experience in. We can help their team to accelerate that business. And um, we just see incredible opportunity. We think strategically, our vision, as I said before, is to become the super app for mealtime. Mm-hmm. And so people eat on Friday and Saturday night. They order in. They're willing to pay a premium to have the food cooked. The other days of the week, you want to make the food yourself, pay a little bit less. So we'll have both. We'll have Friday, Saturday night. We'll have the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday meal kits for you. And the idea is that every night you want to eat, you can come to the Wonder app and we can uh, satisfy what you're looking for. And then on the, on the financial side, you know, we have a courier network that delivers food. They have unutilized parts of the day. Because meal kits don't have to be delivered on demand, we can utilize those unutilized parts of the day to deliver the meal kits. Mm-hmm. So it becomes very synergistic from a financial perspective as well. So, Mark, in addition to you know, your tremendous success in business, you also have a, a big sporting background. We were talking about horse racing uh, just prior to this. I, you're an owner of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Tell us about, I mean, you have these two worlds. You have this unbelievable tech background and you have this sporting life is a, a way I would put it. How do you bring them together? Honestly, I don't, I don't do a good job. I'm very, very focused on wonder. Yeah. I'm 24-7 yeah. on this, and this is my passion. I love yeah. it. The um, Timberwolves Lynx was a childhood dream. I grew up in Staten Island, New York, um, you know, playing sports, watching sports, huge Knicks fan growing up, mm-hmm. tortured for 40 years, basically, being a Knicks fan. And uh, I thought the only way to uh, stop being a fan was to buy a team. So that was that was the motivation. Well, there, well, there <laughs> no, you go. I'm just kidding. By the way, we're, we're both tortured Knicks fans. We're about the same age, and I grew up. I remember the frozen envelope with Patrick Ewing, and, <laughs> and Patrick Ewing broke my heart. But he, he ran into Olajuwon and Jordan's primes. I mean, what was, what was he going to do? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Um, no, I, I think it's not the kind of thing that's easy. I, I have a hard time with balance, mm-hmm. you know. We've got an incredible team, a great CEO, a great president of basketball. Um, and, you know, now it's at a point where they're running it. We've spent a lot of time going through this sort of foundational principles with A-Rod, and we feel like we're in a really good spot. And now it's more, you know, in, enjoying it, you know, go, flying to the games, going to Minnesota, coming back, same night. But I'm very focused you know, on Wonder right now. So it's hard sometimes to enjoy it as much as I probably would if I wasn't as focused. Well, on behalf of The Weekly Take, I really want to thank you, Mark Laurie, CEO and founder of Wonder and so many other things. Thank you for being gracious and hosting us in your home. And uh, go Wonder. Thank you. It's great to be here. If that whet your appetite for more, we'll be serving up new programs on topics such as retail and multifamily housing. Then we'll cap off the season with our annual year in review for 2023, followed by a whole new year of programming. Until then, you can always find more information, check out related content, and catch up on archived episodes. Just visit our website at cbre.com slash theweeklytake. And don't forget to send us your feedback, as well as subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well. Be well.